more clap, just celebration of who he is. I hope it's been good. Hope it's been good this morning. Begin to do that. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. Hey, it is fantastic to uh, to be with you. If we haven't met, my name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors here, and and today uh, we call this Vision Sunday. It's a chance to stop and to kind of take a little stock, to take some deep breaths, to say, you know, God, what do you have for us? If you're somebody who's new here, maybe don't even normally come to church, uh, you'll get a little bit of a sense of our heartbeat, who we are, what makes us tick. Um, if this is uh, the place you call home, then I hope you get a little sense of, you know what, these are some of the things we feel God is inviting us to be part of in the future. And we're going to be thinking about today, the future. Let me hear you say, the future. Yeah. Oh, the future. How many people know 2020 is the future? We are living in the future, are we not? In fact, when I used to think about 2020, I always imagined it looking a little something like this. Uh, I thought this was the future. I got a photo uh, of it. With what, you know, how many people knew this is what the future really is supposed to look like? How many people know that? We have some Back to the Future fans in the house. You can't even talk about the future without referencing the foremost authority on the future, uh, Mr. Martin J. McFly right there. And his flying uh, hover, hover converted DeLorean. I, you know, this is what the future was supposed to look like, right? Like flying cars. You just go out, get a hover conversion. Um, I'm just trying to keep my car like rolling on the ground right now. I don't know. It's like my, my car is a few steps away from a hover conversion. But, you know, what I love about these pictures, kind of fun pictures of the future. We all kind of thought maybe, and this is 1989 uh, when this movie came out. This was a picture of the future. Um, and, and so we all can kind of look forward into the future and imagine different things. But what we're going to think about today is what is the future that God uh, is calling us to be a part of creating? Uh, I love this quote that the best way to predict the future, because this didn't happen. I didn't get a flying car. I don't know if anybody else did. And all the hoverboards have wheels on them. Every, how many people know, every time my son, he's, he's not, he's like, I want a hoverboard. There is, that's not a hoverboard. They can call those wheeling things hoverboards. They're not hoverboards, right? Is anybody, am I, is anybody with me on that? Why do they call them hoverboards? They've got wheels. They're not hovering. Anyway, um, yeah, there's somebody like, how old is this guy? Anyway, but uh, I am 51 years old. Anyway, um, but I, I, you know, the best way, though, I love this quote, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Uh, and I want us to think about this today. What does it look like to create the future? Um, what does it mean to actually go, you know what? The future is not something that we just let happen or happen to us, but we actually are invited, and I believe God has given us a calling to be part of creating the future. Um, you know, when I think about 2020 and vision, one of the things I think about this year is, you know, some, sometimes we'll come to the beginning of the year and kind of really feel a sense of God's like, this is what I have for you right now or, or this year. When I look at 2020, I really feel like God is, is wanting to say to us, look, I, I want you to create the future. But creating the future and figuring it out isn't something that we will just, you know, kind of figure out right now. And even today, as we, we're going to call this Vision Sunday, but I don't have a vision or a, a distinct answer for anyone or a blueprint or a roadmap. But what I believe is... This is a moment in time, 2020, that God would say to us at True North, what will it mean for you to be a part of creating the future and the future that God envisions for us? I think 2020, it's a little bit like the appetizer of the decade. It's the breakfast of the decade. I read this quote uh, from our good friend Winnie the Pooh. Do we have that? Uh, Winnie the Pooh 
and Piglet. So Piglet and Winnie, they're walking along. He says, when you wake up in the morning, Pooh, said Piglet at last, what's the first thing you say to yourself? What's for breakfast, said Pooh. What do you say, Piglet? I say, I wonder what's going to happen exciting today. And Pooh nodded thoughtfully and said, it's the same thing. <laughs> I love I love, I love this little snapshot, this little picture that, like, this is the morning. This is, this is kind of how, and I love it. It's like, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, there's something about the morning that's sort of like anything could happen today. You know, Piglet's like, I wonder what exciting thing is going to happen. Pooh's like, I wonder what will be for breakfast today. I think about 2020, I, I, and when I look at this year, and when I think 10 years from now is going to be 2030, I just think, I wonder what exciting things are going to happen this decade. When I look at the future, I think, I wonder what exciting things could happen. And I want you to think about 2020 almost like this is, this is the start of it. And this year, what would it mean for us as a church, as a community, as a tribe, as a bunch of people going, yep, we are on mission together. What would it mean for us this year to start looking forward and saying, what is the future we're going to create together? You know, one of the things that I think is important when we think about, and so I want you to think maybe for a moment even, just do this right now. Imagine 10 years from now, it's 2030. Think about uh, how young you'll be, how many years young. Uh, think about how, how many years young will maybe, if you have kids, how old will they be? Friends, what are things that are likely to happen in your life in the next decade? You know, some, what are, if you could imagine 10 years from now, what does your future self hope you have invested yourself into? given your time and your energy to. Because where we land in 2030 will either be a future we choose intentionally and create, or we will just live into a default kind of future. I love the idea of a default future. I read a, a book last year. It was called The Three Laws of Performance. And it was one of the best books I, I feel like I read. I was listening to it again recently. And the whole concept of this book, the, the author is talking about this idea that we all have a default future. And the default future is what will happen. It's not inevitable, but it's what will happen unless you choose a more intentional future. Like 2030 will come one way or the other. Certain things will happen. And unless you choose to act intentionally, the default future will just happen. And so all of us always have a choice. Will I just kind of live in a sort of the future will come to me? Or will I be an active part of creating and choosing an intentional future? And that's what we're going to reflect on today. But when we think about the future, what we're going to think about for a moment here is the, the future that Jesus has called us to. And we're going to look at some of his last words. It's important and helpful when we think about what is his vision for us. This is Jesus' last words. His last words, uh, uh, his last words before he ascended to heaven. He's meeting with his, a group of people, not unlike ourselves in this room. They're on a mountaintop. He's risen, and he's going to give them final instructions and we always come back to these as a church because this is what he says I want you to do. It says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now here's what I love for a moment. I want you just to think about this. Look at us. Here we are. It's Sunday morning. It is March something, uh, 2020. Anybody know what it is? March what? 8th. 8th is what I hear. And um, it's March 8th, 2020. Here we are. Jesus would say to a room of us today, I believe these very same words. And just as there was a crowd there that day, some worshipped him, some doubted. It was a whole mixed 
bag of people there. And today, here we all are. And Jesus would speak to us just as he did to them. And he would tell us, if he was going to tell us what to do, he'd say these things. He says in verse 18, it's always called the Great Commission. This is it. This is what he wants his followers to do. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me hear you say, all authority. All authority, all the authority in this world is now Jesus. There's nothing that stands up to him, against him, nothing that has power over him. All authority on heaven and earth is given to him. And it, this is after he's risen from the dead. And, he's, and as he said, death is like the last of the enemies to be defeated. He just like, look, and the last thing, if you thought even nailing me to the cross and putting me in a tomb for three days would somehow defeat me, I've come to make it clear and evident. No, no, no. all authority on heaven and earth is mine. There is nothing in this world which can challenge or rival his authority. It's why we sing with such great joy, no other name. He says, so, all that's been given to me, what then? What then should, should be the response? He says, so, go. Let me hear you say, go. go. He says, so, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What I love about this is that these few verses, they give us these three big ideas we'll look at briefly here. They're all about authority, they're about the mission, and they're about his presence. These verses, he says, it's all mine, all authority is his. When we think about the future, we should think about a future where we are reminded all authority is his. And so if all authority is his and there's nothing that can rival him, what then kind of future should we try to create? How then should we face the future? Do we go to it, you know, timidly or fearfully, wondering what's going to happen and, and poor us and what if this or what if that? Or do we go going, all authority has been given to him, so let's go. And do we remember that there is a clear mission? We also don't go into the future going like, Great, Jesus has all his authority. What could my life, how could my life be better? No, no, Jesus invites us to be a part of his mission in this world. That all his authority is so that all of us, wherever we are, whatever occupation, whatever station in life, whatever, you know, season of life you find yourself in, no matter where you are stationed, and we are all stationed in different places, we are called to the same mission, making disciples of all nations. Would have seemed like an impossible mission on that mountaintop to think that this small group of people was going to reach all the nations of the world. And yet we're all here living testaments to the future that he set in motion that day. That's the mission. Baptize people. Help them find, you know, repentance in Christ. Turn from the default stories and patterns of this world and choose an intentional life of following Christ. And do this all knowing that his presence goes with us. That to the very end of the age, you know, now 20, 20 years later since, you know, or, or whatever, the couple thousand since Jesus left, he's still with us. He's no less with us than he was with them on the mountaintop. Given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He will be with us to the very end of the age. That's the future he invites us into. I love this idea of authority. Do you know authority? One of the things that we, we should be reminded of as we head into the future is like Jesus says, I have all authority. But it's almost like he's saying, but I'm not going to be the one who goes around exercising that authority. I'm delegating it to you. So you go. I have the authority. I'm giving it to you. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Go. Be my hands and feet. 
go be my church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. He gives us his authority. Do you know what an amazing thing it is to think that we get to operate with the authority of Christ? You know, my, my good friend and mentor Martin Sanders has been here in town years ago when I was his, his PA. And, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago now, he would give me, when I first started working for him, he gave me his credit card. And he would say, here you go. You can go spend this. And in those days, there weren't pin pads and tapping. And it was very old-fashioned. You, you had to get a receipt and then sign it. And so you couldn't use a credit card unless you signed it. But he would say to me, look, you take my card and go buy stuff, do stuff. I'm like, but I'm, that's not me, though. I'll have to sign. He's like, no, you can sign my name. Just learn how to sign my name. His little scribble, sign his name. And thankfully, I'm a bit of a scribbler myself. In fact, I learned a word the other day. Does anybody know what the word griffinage means? Griffinage is nearly intelligible, in, in, uh, nearly unintelligible handwriting. How about that? I, I did a, a little thing talking to your fours and fives, and I learned that word. So um, they taught it to us. It was cool. I, I just encourage you to use it. Good vocab word this week. Anyway. But I learned how to do his signature, and so he could say, go, get this, go, do that, go, I need this, I need that, take it. And I didn't, the money wasn't mine, the power wasn't mine, the card wasn't even mine, but he gave me, he delegated authority that I could sign. And when I signed his name, I could use it to do whatever he had asked me to do. And I found while he's been here visiting, I still know how to sign his signature, you know, and, <laughs> and I was like, you know, you gave me all that authority, and I just took a few minutes one day with it, and... I signed up, like, all my Netflix accounts to it, and Spotify, and Apple Music. <laughs> but I, I didn't do that. Anyway, but um, what I, I love about this idea, just, just wrap your mind around this. Jesus says, I've got all authority. It's all mine. You know, I ain't got nothing. You, you don't have, but he delegates his, and he says, so you go and just sign my name in Jesus' name. He says, in, in my name, go heal the sick. In my name, go cast out demons. In my name, build my church. In my name, all these things. In his name. Man, when we think about the future we could create, what kind of future do you create when it's like the king of the universe gave you his card and said, go. Sign away. Like, get this thing moving. That's the future he invites us to. When you think about 2030, how are we going to step into the next decade as a church, as a tribe, as a people? I, one of the things that drives me crazy when followers of Jesus approach the future with fear. When the king of the universe has said, all authority is mine, therefore just go. Like, go, get some stuff done. And for, join the 2,000-year movement that's been underway. Go. You know, when we think about that future making disciples of all nations, I want us to just wrap our mind around a couple things this morning. There is, as I said, there will be a default future, and the default future is what will happen if we do not be intentional about how we spend the next 10 years. And then there's the future Jesus invites us to, which is the go future, which is the like, come on. I feel like Jesus just looks at us almost like you are only limited by your own imaginations. In fact, that's exactly what Ephesians 3.20 says. Whatever we can ask or imagine, it can do abundantly beyond more. So what is the future we will imagine? 
You know, I, I want us to, I'm going to show you something. Now, this, for a moment, this is, I want to show you the default future. We're going to look at some, some stats and some bar graphs. Who likes stats and bar graphs, huh? Got a couple people. Turn to high five somebody. Say, hey, I don't like them, but somebody does, you know. So we'll, uh, we're going to, come on, come on, stats and bar graphs. We're going to have some fun. Check this out. Here is, this is what we are going to call our default future in Australia, the church in Australia. This is monthly church attendance, people who would go to church, say, once a month over the last, you know, roughly 60 years. 1950, 44% of the Australian population would go to church at least once a month, 40, almost half. Now, you can see it's a fairly steady decline coming all the way down to 2009. I think the 2016 ones dropped uh, around 11. I could have that wrong, but it, you get the picture. Now, can I tell you something? This is what the world would look at and say, here is the default future. Like, it's fairly clear. Like, I'm not a mathematician, but I understand how slides work. <laughs> and now, what I just want you to just wrap your mind around this, if we're going to think about 2030, tag 20 more years on what has been, what's the future we're going to live into? The default or will we, and are we up for creating a different future? And what would that look like? But we have got to go, and I got to tell you, you know, I think some people probably look at these things and they get, maybe, oh man, that's not good. Or sometimes I hear, but it's like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. This is what has been. Jesus has all authority. And what he calls us to do is how can we imagine a different future? And, and what would it look like to create that future together? Like nothing makes me like more excited than think about what's it going to look like to create a new future? together. Now, and towards that end, I, I have no blueprint. I have no answers. But what I am saying is I want 2020 to be a year we have these conversations and really begin to wrestle with this. Let's not rush the process. Just go, yeah, what would it take? What's the next 10 years? What are some of the things we're really going to have to change? Because the, the future we're going to picture is going to peak. It's going to bottom out at 2020 and then start a whole different slide. We want to be part of that future. And here, I'm going to give you three questions today that I think we have to answer if we're going to create the future, uh, a, the, a new future. And the first question is this. What will it look like to reach younger generations, emerging generations? What will it look like to prioritize and, and reach emerging generations? Can I tell you something? What, if we are going to see a change in that from 2030 onward, that literally is impossible unless we begin to figure out how are we reaching the younger generations coming up. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the bar graphs, and here's one that just shows the spread of ages represented in the people who do go to church even once a month across Australia. There's two bars on this one. Let's see if we can get that one up. All right, all my bar graph friends. Red represents just the Australian population, and these are age groups. And it's showing us the red bar is what percentage of the Australian population is in these age demographics. The first one's 15 to 19, 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, and so on. The blue bar is what percentage of those age groups are represented in the church across Australia. Go to 50 to 59, you see the two bars that are right there together, 16%. Of ages 50 to 59, about 16% of the population are in that age group, and about 16% of church attenders are in that age group. In other words, they are almost perfectly correlated. That's like, yep, that's about, it's, a, it's the proportional representation you would, uh, you would expect in the church or, or want. 
the next, if you go to the right, what you'll see is the blue graph goes up significantly. The blue graph is significantly higher than the red graph. What that's telling you is that once you hit 60 and older, you have a lot more people in the church who are those age groups than the population at large. In other words, the church is disproportionately this age group. If you go to the left, what you'll see is the red bars go higher. And once you go towards 40 to 49, the red bar is higher all the way down. In other words, these groups are underrepresented in, in the church. Does that make sense? And the point of this, and when you begin to look at a little bit of where the church is heading, if you think about the future in 10 years and 20 years, is that we have to figure out how do we begin to reach the emerging generations that are currently underrepresented and declining quickly. Um, and not only that, I want you to wrap around your, your, your head around this one. If we wanted to change that other graph we saw and go, we are seeing people really like there's something, there is movement taking place. There is a significant shift taking place. Like the church is not on this downward slope. It is thriving. I want, look at the ages at which the average person who uh, attends church comes to Christ. Now I want you to see something here. This is if you can identify how old you were when you first became a Christian, how old were you? Now, I want you to, to go to the, where it gets real small, 30 to 39. 2.3% of people who follow Christ, it happened 30 to 39. 2% when they were 40 to 59. And just less than 2% when they were 60 or older. In other words, and then if you go to the other side where it's taking you from 30 all the way down to under 5. We'll talk about that in a moment. Roughly 94% of people who do make a decision to follow Christ, they do it before the age of 30. Of everyone who comes to follow Christ, only about 4% make that decision older than 30. Now, some of you, that would be your story. You are literally a miracle. You're, you're, you're one of the exceptions in the whole thing. But 94% of people who make a decision to follow Christ, it happens before the age of 30. 80%, it happens before the age of 20. 80%. Under five, you'll see is 42%. In other words, 42% when they make that decision, probably inherited faith. They call them faith inheritors from their family. Uh, and then between five to 20 is another roughly 40%. Now, here's what I just want us to wrap our heads around. This is just, you know, this isn't because I'm, I, I'm you know, want to say, what do we do with young people? What I'm just showing you is here's reality. And if Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, and we know staring at us right in the face is the reality that it's incredibly rare for someone to even make a decision past the age of 30, how should that inform what we do in the future? If we know that we are disproportionately missing on the younger generation, what needs to change in our approach? And this is not about going, we shouldn't or we should exclude any age group. Not at all. But for all of us, I am 42. My peers are incredibly unlikely to make a decision to follow Christ. Guess what? I pray for them. I invite them. I do everything I can. It's a hard slog if, if, if you're trying to reach somebody 40 and older. Like, you just, if you're doing that, you know how hard it is. People's life patterns, the things they got going on, the resistance to change, all the preconceived, all the formed People get formed and they're thinking a lot. It's hard. I don't stop. I don't quit. I keep praying. I keep inviting. I keep doing everything I can. 
But the reality is how, I think sometimes Jesus would probably look and go, the fields are white for the harvest. But it requires all of us who are older than 30 going, how do I think about someone who doesn't look at the world the way I do? And how do I prioritize them over what's comfortable for me? And what will it look like for us to go, we got to figure this out. We got as a church, figure it out. I'm probably too old to figure it out. But man, I could champion some younger people who could help us figure it out. You know, that, and it's not about some can and some can't, but it's about how do we all go, yep. You know, one of the greatest kind of revival movements in history was the Sunday school movement. And in the Sunday school movement, when I'm talking about that, it was back in, and I don't even have the exact years and things, but it started, you know, with basically kids who were more or less in the, in the 19th, 20th century, you know, sweatshop labor all week, and so they didn't go to school. And they started teaching them to read on Sundays. And all these kids come to Christ. What is the movement of the future that sees a brand new, fresh generation of kids? They're not even here yet. You know, some of you have grandkids. What is it going to look like to reach your grandkids? What is, how do we just, there's this whole generation that's missing. And, and we're the people Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. So well, how is that going to look? Now, I, I don't have answers, but it's something we got to think about. Um, the second question we're going to ask is this, what does engagement look like in the future? What does it, here's, here's what I mean by this. Um, I grew up in a world, and I still believe in a world because I just think this is wisdom. I don't think it's a generational thing. I grew up where, as a follower of Christ, I was taught, like, you, on Sundays is God's day, and you go and you worship. And I believe that's kind of how God created life. Work six days, take a day to rest, and worship me. I think that's a, there, there's just a thousand reasons, I won't go into all day why, I just think that's the best way to actually structure your life. Um, I think it's one of those, but Jesus, like it's, it's just actually the best way to live. Um, what we know is the average person who does attend church, the averages are around, you know, one, one and a half times, maybe a month that a person goes. Um, my point is not people are bad for that. The reality is there's an ideal way I think God actually is created for us to live. There are realities just of how we live, work shifts, schedules. There's all kinds of things that have made it very unlikely that people engage in that kind of regularity. So what does it look like to engage with people in the future? Do you know some average person uh, might be at, at, at a worship gathering like this once or maybe twice a month? Um, do you know how many people, how many people, show of hands, have one of these? A smartphone, smartphone, that's cool. And then the rest of you are like, yeah, I won't raise my hand no matter what you ask. Um, so, just, <laughs> just kidding. I love, I just love looking at it. It's always so much fun because I feel like sometimes people think I'm on TV and I can't see you. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's like, but it's just fun. Um, okay, how many times do you reckon the average person is touching one of these in a day? Anybody know? Every few minutes? How up? Three, three million, three million. Jed's right, exactly right. Three million times. No, it's a little bit less. No, 2,100. And that's driven largely through the younger generations, but people don't even realize it. You grab it. Look, oh, what time is it? Oh, how long have I been preaching? Oh, 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 no, mine's on airplane mode. Don't worry, I'm not checking messages. 2,100 times. What now? Here's a phrase that I, I just always think is really helpful. Screens, disciple. We're called to make disciples of all nations. Guess what? Screen, you 
something you touch 2,100 days is influencing you. And it's not necessarily, I'm not even talking just about the content you look at. I'm just talking about it's, it's, it's about the rhythm of your life. It's just, it's actually what become your habits and your patterns and how do you live and what do you do. Screens disciple. And then you layer onto that the content and what you look at and how you engage, all those things. And listen, do not mishear me because what I'm not going to say is, so you know what, everybody, for the future, we better get rid of these things. We better move north of two rocks and we better, you know, start something out in the, you know, this is not that kind of message. The question is, what does engagement look like in the future? People engage differently. People connect with humans differently. There's a whole bunch of things. We just got to figure out what does engagement look like, and it probably isn't going to look like it did a generation ago. You know, one of the things we did last year just to kind of experiment with this was we just started doing some different kinds of content on YouTube. It was just kind of, okay, let's just see what would happen. We did some things, we call them deep dives, just looking at messages different ways, just using different channels that we normally use. You know, in the one month, we just put a little bit of effort into this. We had about 1,500 more podcast downloads in one month. Do you know, last year we had about 20,000 plus downloads of our podcast. Engagement isn't just what happens on Sundays. And so I say all that to just say, we have to figure out what does engagement look like? What does it mean to be part of a tribe of people when you also at times will not be as connected physically as you perhaps once were? What does it look like to teach people to obey everything Jesus commanded in a world where People rock up here once a month, but would be on this 2,100 times a day. How do we disciple? Not in 40 years ago, but from 2020 to 2030. And I think we got to figure out what we do with that. Here's the, the last question uh, that I want to ask. And it's this, are we ready for more in the future? Are we as church 2030, are we ready? You know what, if we look in the last 10 years, we've seen God do a lot of great things. You know, a lot of the trends that we'll look at nationally don't actually hold up uh, quite the same in our context. The point is, how are we a part of a bigger picture and a bigger church? Um, but are we ready for more in the future? You know, I saw this movie. Has anybody seen the movie 2040? Um, anybody seen this one? It's, it's an Australian documentary. This guy you see kneeling um, with the green tree. He, uh, that's his daughter, she's five years old. So he made this documentary basically going, in 2040, my five-year-old daughter is going to be 25 years old. What's the world she's going to inherit in 2040? And I just love the concept because I think we as, all of us who are um, older than 15 or, or 20 should all be thinking, what's the, what's the church of 2030? What's the church of 2040 going to look like that we're passing on? And what's cool about this movie is it's, it's really like upbeat, like yeah, how many people know like the news can be a bit depressing? How many people know like your social media feed could be a bit depressing? Like a lot of things that look at the future, it's just like, well, it's all kind of stuffed, you know, it's just not gonna go well. What I loved about it is he just went, you know what? Uh, and it's uh, particularly around climate things, environmental, you know, creation care, we would say. Um, he just went, what if we just did everything we already know is good? Like no other technologies emerges, we don't invent anything else. How different could the world be if we just did what we already know to do? And, and, and the picture is, is quite, it's, it's quite a beautiful picture of like, you know, and it's fun and he paints it that way. But here's, I just think the question is for us as a church, the church of 2030, what if this next 10 years we just, there's some stuff that's like, yeah, what do we do with tech or what do you do? But what if we just did all the things we know we're supposed to do? What would the church of 2030 look like?
We prioritize the mission to make disciples of all nations, all ages. We prioritize, we, we just went into the future knowing all authority belongs to Christ. And so let's go. We went into the future just going, yeah, it's actually just about figuring out how do we teach people to obey everything he said. And that might look a little bit different, but how, how do we do that? How do we put uh, some other people and age groups or generations needs? But, but imagine what that future could look like. You know, the, here's, I'm going to give you one, one last kind of paradigm shift there because I think this one's just kind of a helpful one. This is one small, and I, and I almost kind of don't even want to talk about this right now because I don't want you to think this is like at all an answer because it's not even, it's like the tip of an iceberg of looking towards an answer. But one of the small shifts we're going to make to try and reach emerging generations, and this is going to be inconvenient for, for uh, some of you, probably not because you're in the 10 a.m. service actually, but one of the things we're going to shift in how we operate on a Sunday is we're only going to be doing our Compass Kids program at our 10 a.m. service. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to help kids connect with kids consistently enough over time that they develop one of the absolute key parts of following Christ, and that's peer group friendships. And when you only connect once in a while, can I tell you something? My son's nine years old, and on Sunday morning, if I tell him, you know, hey, we're going to church, he has yet to look at me and say, Dad, what are they going to teach me today? You know? Do you know what Bible verse we'll look at, Dad? I'm so excited to see, like, what Bible verse we look at today. No, I wish he did. Um, maybe. I'm not sure if I wish that or not, you know. I mean, John does come every day like that, which is an awesome thing. But you know what he, you know what he does always ask? Who's going to be there? Are my friends going to be there? Kids who do not find, if we're going to reach emerging generations, we got to help them be high tech and high touch. Connections, people they know that they gather with. And, and that requires sometimes inconvenience for us. We're going to make our 8.30 service, which you all come attend, so it doesn't really matter to you. But the 8.30 service is only going to be 45 minutes long. It'll be just like the 10 a.m., but it'll be shrunk. Um, and there won't be kids programs because we just want, we actually want our kids to be gathering in the same place. We want young people, we want to have a space where our people who are serving can come and be in a service and still go and serve kids. And all that just to say, and, and I say this one, what I hope, this is a small start towards this. How do we also break the paradigm of church somehow being about adults? And how do we get on mission with Christ? Knowing he says, go, make disciples of all nations. Go, create the future. Go, change what has been. And how are we going to create that future together? I want to invite you to stand up. I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to sing in just a moment one more time, no other name. And I want to encourage you as we sing it today. Let's just make it a declaration, a declaration over the future of actually, you know what, we are going into the future, not fearful, not wondering what's going to happen, but going, God, in whom his name is over all things, has invited us to create the future. And what will it look like for us to just go, let's just keep figuring it out. This year, 2020, let's keep figuring it out. Let's keep having conversations, going, what does it need to look like? What needs to change? What needs to shift? I want to encourage you even now, we're just going to begin to ask God to begin to speak to us. This isn't a vision message like, hey, let's go this direction. But today is about going, hey, let's seek God for this one. Let's not rush into 2020. Let's go, God, what's, what do you have for us? We might create the future you want this next decade. I want to invite you just to bow your head with me for a moment. Maybe if you know this, this place, this is your home, this is your tribe. 
Maybe just open up your hands and we're just going to ask that God would begin to plant vision and passion and heart, the future that he sees within us. Lord, this morning, would you let your Holy Spirit begin to fall? As we pause at the beginning of a new decade, We are reminded that you want to clothe us with power for what you want to do. And so God, in a real simple way today, we ask you to pour out your spirit. Give us your vision. Give us your eyes so we can see what you see. Give us your heart. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Show us our blind spots. Unite us together as a people around the future you envision. We thank you that all authority is yours. We go into the future full of boldness and confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. We thank you for the name of Jesus above every other name. Come now, Holy Spirit, clothe us in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's sing to him. Let's make it a declaration. Let's declare it today.